Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week's episode is a live recording of the event we held on Tuesday night at the Book Club here in London. We brought together four people who make four very different music magazines to hear their varying experiences of publishing in print today. As you'll hear, there are some striking similarities in their reasons for making the magazines in the first place and also in the difficulties that they face. And it was really interesting hearing the different ways that they go about dealing with those challenges. I'm very pleased to say that this week's episode is sponsored by Park Communications. They were with us there on the night showing off all the beautiful independent magazines that they print. If you are making your own magazine or if you're thinking about making a magazine, of course, you need to get it printed. So you should check them out, see what they can do for you at parkcom.co.uk. Okay, this is a longer episode than usual. It's about an hour. So I'm going to keep this bit as short as I can and just say I hope you enjoyed this panel discussion, which was recorded live on Tuesday, 25th of September, 2018. Uh, so we have a fantastic panel uh, waiting to speak to you tonight. I'm going to run down the line just really quickly, give you an overview of who they are, and then they'll do a much better job of it. So uh, down at the end, we've got Woody Cecilia, who is the editor of Cool Brother magazine. Uh, you've got copies on your seats, so very kind of zine-like, uh, very much about sort of like creative collaboration with artists. Uh, next to her, we've got Paul Bradshaw, who is the editor of Straight No Chaser. Uh, that's a mag that started in, Paul, was it 1988? Yeah. Right, so started in 1988, stopped in 2007, back again now. Uh, Paul's going to tell us all about that. Uh, we've got Tom Armstrong, uh, editor of The Move. Uh, so a magazine which kind of grew up out of uh, the underground music and pop culture. And then closest to me here, we've got Hannah Hanra, who is the editor of Beat, uh, which is a magazine which is all about kind of uh, getting close to the musicians themselves with photography and interviews. So what I want to know, Hannah, starting with you, why do you do this in the first place? Why do you make a music magazine? Um, I guess it kind of started by accident when I started, so I started Beat eight years ago, um, and I was both working as a DJ and a writer, and I was working, doing a lot with fashion designers, and I'd go to their studios and see the same 10 pictures on the wall of Debbie Harry, Grace Jones, David Bowie, Iggy Pop, and I was like, no one's making images of musicians that look like that now, that will last into the future, you know, bands we either shot down for a plane in front of a wall, or squeeze into fashion credits for ID or L or Vogue. Um, and I had previously run a fanzine, and I just thought, well, I, I could do that. And, and I kind of still am. Um, so so the, when did you start? Um, in October 2010, the first issue came out. So like literally eight years ago this month, next month. Um, and, and, and I had uh, previously made a fanzine on newsprint and like, knew its limitations and, and like how great it was just to toss a bundle into a pub and not have to worry about anything after that. And that's, that's how we started and fortuitously a friend of mine had just left his job as an art director and we both had similar, similar copies of like old enemies and old Slash magazines and we looked at those and like friends and photographers got involved and, and that's it really, it's been a real pleasure to sort of be on this journey that seems to never end, which I'm incredibly grateful for. 
Nice. That's the that's the, the happy positive message of magazine making. Let's see if we stay like that all the way down the line. I mean, I can tell you the other side. <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, okay, Tom. Uh, I've started a music magazine because uh, I love music and I got so much enjoyment out of it throughout my life that I just wanted to share that with other people. That's that's the simple answer. Fantastic. Why why that particular type of music? Uh, well, it's kind of, the, the magazine isn't really one particular type of music, but it's more around club culture. And there's lots of different types of music that you hear in, in, in clubs, and that's sort of the, the spectrum that we started with, really. But it started at a time when club culture was kind of under threat um, from various things, changes in behaviour, changes in society, uh, local councils and government. It was just when fabric had been closed down. So I kind of thought, I got a feeling that this thing that we people in this country have loved for so many years shouldn't be taken for granted and my way of kind of trying to band everybody together was to do the magazine and remind people of why we love it and what's so good about club culture and music. Fantastic. Paul? Um, I suppose I was into music from being a kid, you know, a little kid, and um, basically ended up kind of um, writing about music because people got fed up with me talking to them about it. <laughs> and um, so some people said, well, why don't you write about this or do that? And so I kind of started writing in the 70s. And, um, and then I progressed to writing for the enemy at a time when the enemy was really influential. There was a lot going on at that time. Um, I was predominantly into reggae. At, at that time, and um, and that's kind of how I, I started writing about music was mostly about reggae. And um, when you think of what it was like at that time, especially the mid seventies, there were, there was reggae was one of the most radical music forms certainly at that time. And the messages that were coming out of reggae music very much kind of uh, resonated with the kind of post-punk generation. So it was, um, th there was a kind of political dimension to what I was kind of interested in as well. So basically I kind of got into writing more about you know, different kinds of music as I, as, as I kind of developed as a writer with the enemy. And in the mid 80s, what I was finding was that people weren't so much, you know, um, interested in writing about the music that I was interested in. And I think, you know, that included like African music, Latin music, you know, musics that were seen as a bit marginal. And I thought, well, this is, this is not quite right. And at a certain point, I got together with two friends, one of whom had been the editor of The Enemy, Neil Spencer. And, uh, and he was the editor of The Enemy when he was selling quarter of a million copies every week. So, you know, it was like, you get an idea of what impact music publications had during that particular period of time. The Melody Maker probably wasn't that far behind them as well. And they had sounds as well, which also came out on a weekly basis. So you had like really huge musical coverage at that time. But it would only cover what predominantly what the industry was interested in. So in a way, I was responding to uh, the lack of response to small labels that were putting out African music or Latin music or reggae music or jazz, for example. And when I decided in 1988, I decided to start a designer fanzine. And um, we found a guy who, there were about three Macintoshes in London. Apple Macs. And um, <laughs> they, they, were, 
like um, really small. And um, we found this guy who was called uh, Decon Design, and he was based in he was in the basement of Sterling's record shop at the back of Tottenham Court Road. And um, his dad worked for Apple, and he was one of the few people. His dad worked for Apple. Yeah. So he had an Apple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, in a way, we were like one of the first um, publications to be done on an Apple Mac. Uh, and in, in effect, what it did was uh, really, you know, couldn't really design much on it, but it was, it cut out the, it cut out typesetting, which was a massive cost. So I kind of, that, that was, you know, that was how I kind of got into doing a magazine, basically. We did the first one, it was Straight No Chaser, it was, in a way, modeled on the original ID, so it was kind of oblong shape. And, uh, and, and then I, Carried on doing a magazine for nearly 20 years. So you, you finished that in 2007? 2007, the internet. Okay. Okay. All right. We're, we're going to come back to find out why you stopped then. Um, Woody, why do you make a music magazine? Uh, well, so I started out um, actually in advertising. Um, so I was doing advertising at uni, but I essentially only learned one thing there, and that's that I really didn't want to go into the industry at all, um, which was helpful that I could learn that so early on. Um, I really wanted to go into music journalism, actually, and I wanted to write for the magazine that I've been spending my whole youth reading, which is Enemy. Um, and I was also fortunate enough to get some freelance work there as a digital, digital journalist. Um, and so when I was doing that, I kind of learned quite quickly that I didn't want to go into digital journalism either. Um, I really missed print and the thing that I love about print is the anticipation maybe waiting a week or a month or even longer for a magazine to come out and so I wanted to rekindle that but also do something different. And so you end up making Cool Brother magazine which is, so it is a music magazine but then it's also a bunch of other stuff as well so tell, tell us yeah. what it is. Uh, so it's a music magazine uh, predominantly, that's kind of how it started. Uh, but then I wanted to add illustration in there and photography and style as well. Just anything that kind of inspires me because I think it's a good place to start to create something for yourself. If you believe in it, then chances are someone else will too. So that's kind of what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, mostly music, but also kind of a lot of visual art and uh, but yeah, visual artists that are involved as well. Nice, okay, yeah. thank you. Alright, Paul, I said that I wanted to come back because we, we left you at the point where you stopped making Straight No Chaser. We can see from what you have in front of you that you are making it again now. So, why did you stop and then why did you start again? Um, well, basically, during the, the, that period of two decades of, of, of doing the magazine, um, the magazine established a kind of readership all around the world. It did travel worldwide and, um, and had a very kind of dedicated um, following. But at the same time, it, it was a magazine which was relatively, became relatively expensive to produce. We had an office, we, you know, we had a team of people and, um, and we depended largely upon advertising. And I think that the impact of the internet was that basically at a certain point, and it was quite early on in the internet. I mean, eBay had been invented by that. It was kind of, and it was just like immediately, what was offered to you from an advertising perspective was like halved. 
or, or, or even more. And we did soldier on for a little while, but it was kind of one of those things where basically suddenly the books weren't adding up, you know, the overheads that we had. You know, we were in an office in Hackney where the business rates were crazy. You know, so it was like one of those things at a certain point, I think we, we, we looked at things like the beginnings of exact editions and decided, do we want to go down that route, you know, or do we want to kind of have a website? And I think we just thought, no, we're just going to stop it. And it was quite a hard decision to make. And I just kind of went back to freelancing, writing line and notes, doing bits of radio and stuff. And but some, something must have made you decide you wanted to come back in now. Well, a friend, a friend of mine came to me and gave me a little bit of money and said, this is not to produce a magazine, but this is for you to take time out and research whether you could start the magazine again. And I was, I was already kind of out and about, you know, just and quite excited about a lot of the stuff that was going on on the ground. Um, you know, there was a new generation of jazz musicians, straight now, Chester essentially is a kind of jazz orientated magazine in the sense that um, it's, it's kind of music of the African diaspora. That's basically the essence of the magazine. And I kind of thought, there's a new generation out there. I've still got my, you know, a portion of my old crew were around. Um, I knew a lot of young people who were doing things on the ground. And I'd obviously spent quite a lot of time talking to people and um, managed to recruit a kind of new generation crew. And, um, and they got together with my original art director, who I've worked with all the time, Swifty, who I've worked with for a long time. And, um, and we thought, well, we, we can cover the cost of printing the magazine um, with advertising, then let's have a go. So I did 1,500 copies, and I sold out in three weeks. So I thought, well, okay, well maybe I can do another. And uh, yeah, that's what I've done. <laughs> so I'm interested in the timelines of this because Hannah, so you, so Paul, you stopped in 2007, the internet had taken a big chunk. Hannah, so I'm guessing you must have been 2010 that you started. Yeah, that would be eight years ago. That's eight years ago, right. <laughs> and you were obviously coming into this world where the internet had taken an even bigger chunk out, but I guess you weren't worried about what it had been like before. No, well, the fanzine that I ran prior to doing Beat was uh, one big piece of paper with a poster on one side and fo it folded down with like Q and A's and like top tens and like funny interviews and stuff. And my motto was that as long as people have walls, they're going to want something to stick on it. And I guess um, that has kind of carried through with Beat. Like I, I don't know if any of you are familiar with it, but. Um, it is like larger format and the images like are nice and big to go on your wall and that I guess like for me working with photographers and um, and, and having a page size that's essentially uh, A3 I guess has, has kind of I don't know displaces the need for like instant gratification of the internet because it's something that you keep although it is newsprint source and you can drink it away but it gives it that like keepable kind of slightly precious air to it and also so looking at the other side of that just from the brands that you have in there it looks like you must do pretty well with getting the advertisers to pay for what you're doing yeah so we've worked um like it's kind of i kind of come from a different place from 
you, I guess, and you who are both like proper music journalists, where I'm just like somebody who really likes music. Like I do, <laughs> I love music more than anything. And you know, I worked for many years as a DJ, but I also, um, by proxy, have ties in fashion and have worked for many fashion magazines. And uh, because of the merit of the photographers that we work with, we work with like David Sims and Alison McFellin and Ryan McGinley, who are all big fashion photographers. And, and that, um, I guess, from the start and from my background and from Lizzie, my co-publisher's background, we do work with fashion brands as if it were like a, a mainstream fashion publication, which I, I think sort of makes us stand out a little from other magazines. But like, you know, it, it is a fanzine, guys. But like Saint Laurent advertisers, like, I don't know. It, it just is what it is. And I might run look at the images there, I think like you must begin with like, okay, so we know we can get this artist, let's see if we can get this photographer to take the pictures, because you're, you're putting this sort of like alchemy together, of like well, what's going to happen? Yeah, so for, well, actually this issue here, which I've just gracefully plopped on the floor, um, that was Lady Leisure, and we asked the artist Martin Parr to shoot her, um, because I had just shot Beyonce with Ryan McGinley, that was a small thing. And then we worked with David Bowie on an issue. Uh, again, like, you know, a, a, a small name. Um, and we thought, like, who, like, who can we do that's totally different? That's like the other side of the circle to those two people. And, you know, I love Lady Leisure and her uh, Queen's speeches. And that was coming out, so we chose to do her for the cover. And then we were like, shit, who do we get to shoot that? Like, where do you go from Beyonce holding a chicken? So. Yeah, like, I don't know, Martin Parr came up in conversation and I emailed him and he said yes and he followed her around for the day and it was kind of weird and awkward and like, Martin Parr taking some pictures and then that was it. So yeah, like, it is a, a, a kind of a collaborative experience for, for, for us putting it together and for the photographer and sometimes like when you get just the right person taking just the right picture, that's kind of when the magic happens. Um, and, and sometimes it goes wrong and but we just pretend that just say it's great. Anyway, so. Tell us about the time wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you totally don't have to. You don't there's been to. a few. There's been a few where I've been like, shit. Like this person's got like one day, and they're in LA, and the LA is a waste ground for photographers, by the way. And like, like who do we get? Or like, let's just ask them and see if it will work out well. And like, of course, like Johnny, our director, Chris, director, like does an amazing job editing the pictures and laying it out. But there have been a few times where we've both been like, it would have been nice if like, David Sims shot that. But yeah. it's okay. Yeah. You just roll with the punches. So I guess like, a general question to all of you. Like the, the artists that you feature is such a, a, an intrinsic part of what you're doing. So how do you begin with that? Like, how do you decide who you're going to put on the pages of your magazine for anyone? could be so it could be the band that you really rate hugely or you could even go back a step i think this is what i've done um recently if if a band mentions another band maybe like an older band that's maybe kind of more culty like for instance country teasers that's quite a good way to kind of go about things so not only are you featuring bands that you love but also bands that the fans love and that's a really great way to find out new music as well 
Now you do quite an interesting thing where you like give the band disposable cameras and get them to then like create the content yeah. for you. Clever, <laughs> nice, cheap. Well, so this is like, um, it's, it, in a way it's an alternative to gig reviews. So I don't put any gig reviews in the magazine. Um, so yeah, this is kind of a nice way of almost going on tour with your favourite bands while still remaining on your sofa in London. So they might be touring around Australia or somewhere like that. They'll be taking all these pictures backstage, which is also always exciting for a music fan. And then I interview them about the photos afterwards. So, yeah. And, and, and Paul and Tom, is there, is there anything that you guys like look out for when you're like, putting the night together? Just nice people. <laughs> Honestly, that is it, just nice people. It's like, there's a lot of artists out there, and the beauty of doing your own thing, of being your own publisher, being independent, is is you can put whoever you want in the magazine. So it's people who you feel deserve it. So with, with, with me, for example, it's, um, I kind of, I come from a digital background and there was a lot of that that I found quite frustrating. One of the things was just the fact that people only took um, people's popularity as their Facebook following or their Instagram following. So I thought, no, bollocks, I'm just going to do my own thing. And if someone has, if something, like for example, Yasmin who's on the cover at the moment, I don't think she's even had an album out. But she's she's so well loved by the people within our kind of community. It doesn't matter whether we had Madonna on the cover. It's like it's that, and she she gets she gets behind it. Do you know what I mean? And 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 sort of. And I feel like I'm doing a good thing. You're giving success, well, not success, but you're giving a platform to people who feel deserve it. When you do that, so you're also taking a real pump because I mean your your cover has to sell your magazine. You, I mean, you, you, at the end of the day, need people to pick it up and buy it. So, the, I mean, you know, I know it's like a throwaway thing, but if you put Madonna on the cover, Are I'll you saying that I put it. any old shit on the cover of the <laughs> 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 Absolutely not. No, 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 no. He said, he, not me, he said, um, he, in Madonna, as in like, not somebody who's really recognised yeah, 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 The point yeah. of having someone like Madonna on the cover is that loads of people know she is. Whereas someone really unknown like that is, I mean, that's a risk. But I think, actually, um, here's my two cents on what you're saying, is that when you put a new person on the cover, it's, it's someone more intriguing to your audience who are like, ooh, who's this? Like, I'm gonna buy into that. Like, I wanna know who that is. Like, I wanna be part of the thing that this magazine is selling with this cool person that I don't know who it is on the cover. Rather than like, oh, it's Madonna again. Like, I've seen her in the whole six thousand times. Yeah. Do, do you get any, like, sort of feedback in terms of so when you have someone really famous on the cover do you find like do you hear from like the outlets the copies have all gone or is it does it not really make a difference um no it doesn't like no one's ever said like oh my god that cover that you did there's still three thousand of them please come and get them otherwise we'll put them in a bit yeah. uh, what, what like for example we did um this last issue we did Kelsey Liu and Deb Hines. And like Kelsey's a new artist. I like literally met her on a flight on the way to a festival and was like, you're weird, I like you. <laughs> um, and then, so we did her and Deb. There he is, with his tits out. Um, and, and no, you know, like the feedback from both of them has been equally fantastic. And I don't, I don't think like as a free magazine, we, we do, put anyone we want on the cover and the way that we select our people is Michael, my co-editor and I sit down and go, I really want to do this person. Oh, they've not got an album out until like next year. What about this person? No, they're shit. And we sort of like battle it out between us and then it'll be like, oh my God, actually like 
so-and-so's got an album out, let's do them, and we kind of like G each other up with excitement and make a list and then hit up the relevant people and sometimes it works out and sometimes, like the person we've shot for the next issue, it's taken me two fucking years to get them down. And get, like the timing has to be right and the, they have to want to do it and sometimes it doesn't work. And, and when it does, it's great. And when it doesn't, it's just really nice. And of course, the places that you then put that magazine are super important because you can do all that work and make the best magazine, but if it's not in the right places, it doesn't matter because people aren't seeing it. So that how, how have you come about your distribution network? My distribution network? Um, well, guys, I'm going to admit something to you that I've never told anyone, which is I stole a spreadsheet of where other free magazines were, and I copied it, and I made it my own. And you know what? My magazine's bigger than theirs, so... <laughs> okay, so... So don't tell anyone. So theft is the answer at this yeah. end. Uh, Woody, yours is also a free magazine. Have you stolen the spreadsheet? No. <laughs> I like. Um, I definitely went on a couple of music magazine websites and checked where they were stocked, and then I added loads along the way. Because Cool Brother is actually stocked at around 150 different places in London, which is quite a lot. It's quite a long two days distributing it actually. And so, um, you're, so you're actually putting those magazines yeah, in those places? Yeah, I do it myself. I do it with the art director as well, Emma. Um, and yeah, we do it, get in my car, drive around. It takes two days usually, so we do like central London and south London one day, and then east London the next, and that kind of covers all the areas that we want to stock it at. Covers the world. The world! Oh, Paul, now you so you've come back and you're like, you're doing all of this again now. So the, like how have you seen this world change since the last time you were doing it? Well, the, the internet. It's um, what killed us in the first place is now basically probably where we sell most of the magazines. Um, I just got a big cartel shop and put the word out for people to go online and buy a copy online and it's, it seems to travel. I mean basically I have orders from pretty much all around the world and um, I think that is the difference but at the same time um, even though the internet is there I do like to supply the community. I think I'm pretty much on the same tip as Tom on that. That basically you know we, we, we both kind of, I, you know we come from a community and we represent within that community and um, from that point of view, I do want to make sure that I supply the certain record shops, you know, that maybe have been there, you know, Sounds of the Universe or Honest Jones or Love Vinyl or wherever, you know what I mean? So it's supplying those people that are on the ground, they're doing, you know, they're doing their thing and you kind of want your thing to be part of what, what they represent as well at the same time. And the way that you've gone about making this one, so you've got a set of fluorescent inks that you use with like monochrome photography. <coughs> the, I mean, I've I, I got to say, I never saw Straight No Chaser back back in the day. How similar is this to what you were doing then? Yeah, no, interestingly, I mean, I think um, when we started, obviously it was, it was kind of um, a black and white magazine with um, Pantone colour on the cover. And then basically, you know, we progressed from that to including Pantone colours inside the magazine. Um, we have a very, you know, we have a really strong rep for, for photography and illustration, and um, 
So using Pantone colours in relation to doing duotones on the photos is quite crucial. It gives, you know, really gives them a lift. And also the paper that we always use was, um, we never used glossy paper. It was always kind of, you know, sort of matte paper and quite heavy stock. And um, so, it, you know, these were all, I suppose they like design considerations. So when, um, when we did the 10th anniversary of the magazine, we, um, we decided to go full colour. And we went super A4 and full colour. And it had, it as, it had it, you know, some advantages to doing that. I mean, advertisers like the full colour. And, um, but I think we lost something. During, during, during that era. I think there was something that, that we, we kind of lost. So when it came round to re, redoing the magazine, uh, in a way what we did was we kind of remixed the magazine on the basis of past issues. So we kept certain things, certain formats from the old magazine, and we decided to drop the full colour. And each, each of the issues now we plan to do with um, black with two Pantone colours. And it's a shifty one because in a way a lot of brands don't really want to go there. You know what I mean? I mean if you're Levi's and a red tag is, is your is what you need to be identified with, then they're not gonna advertise with you because um, you might have it. But if you look at a magazine like Butts, it was printed on pink paper just in black and black and white, or just with black ink, not white obviously. And and, and because it was so strong with like that's their thing and uncompromising. I think that they actually managed to do all right with advertising. Um, granted, they folded, but no. <laughs> well, they folded it led on to a fantastic man and gentlewoman and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, so I do think what well, I, I think you should remain uncompromised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and also, a lot of your advertising is it's from your from world. The, it's, it's exactly from record labels. It's essentially from the community and. Um, so that was, the idea was that basically the, the, the bottom line of producing a magazine was um, to cover my print costs. You know, and now, you know, so basically I do it off, you know, off my kitchen table, off a computer at home. And, and basically the idea is you cover your print costs and then anything else on top of that, you're, you're making money to be able to pay your photographers or your writers or yourself, you know what I mean? So I'm putting towards the next issue or doing specific projects where you can kind of enhance what you know what you've already done. Tom, how, how familiar is this sounding to you in terms of if I cover your costs, keep it going? Yeah, it's that's that's the life of doing an independent mag, do you know what I mean? It's always one it's you're always living like one issue to the next. Close to the bleed. That's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's exactly the same for me. And the same with distribution as well. I do the distribution myself in like for ones that we sell direct. It's my handwriting on the envelope. Do you know what I mean? I could get someone to do that, I could get a label printer, but I quite like doing it. Even though, do you know what I mean? It takes up a lot of my time. And the same with, like, record shops. I'm going in carrying the boxes myself. Or like, but do you know what? I have had to, like, I've had to really sort of hone down on the amount of stockists that I can handle. Because I'm sending them all that myself. Some geezer with a, a fucking tea shop in Canterbury wants a few magazines. It'd be nice for it'd be nice for everybody to be able to read it, but I ain't got the time to be sending five magazines to places. And I've tried to do it, but the, the, the way that I've sort of tried to do it is to scale it down and have better relationships with fewer stockists. So the ones that I sell the more the most with, try and what find ways that you can strengthen that relationship, um, and then sell the rest direct. 
So what's a good minimum order for you then to be sending to a shop? Uh, probably a good minimum order is about 40 to 60. That's, That's good. Yeah, no, it's good, it's good. Yeah, and, uh, and we're in like, it's record shops and clothes shops really, is, is, is where we are. Because fashion is also a big part, and as you say, it's, it's out yeah. of club culture, so it's music, but there's fashion as It well. is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So fashion's a massive part of what we do, just because, do you know what, it's like I started off and it was just music, and I thought, no, people are into music, are into clothes, are into food, there's this whole other, like, there's no point just talking to someone about one thing. Well, it's such a springboard, music is really such a springboard for everything else, really, yeah. and that I, I think, like, working with fashion brands, like, it certainly does, for me, and I guess for you guys, really does make sense, because the two so often do just go hand in hand. Of course, it's, they've always gone hand in hand, and for me, that is as much a part of music culture. If you're too much into one and not into the other, it's so not quite right. Do you know what I mean? If, to, if you want to be cool, you've got to be into both for equal measures. In exactly the way that Tom says. That goes back to like clubbing culture, where you, you know, like any club scene, like whether it be like Northern Soul or like the Goth club, you know, it's like you wore, you dressed what you listened to. Exactly. All right, I'm going to be asking for questions from the audience in just a minute, so um, please try and have stuff off the top of your heads. But first, I'm going to go down the line and ask, what is the biggest challenge that you face in making the mag the way that you want to make it? Oh, um, I, like, like, honestly, I've been doing this for a really long time, and I think that I'm really so chuffed that I can still do it. Um, the biggest challenge is those fuckers that don't pay their invoices on time. <laughs> that, like everything else, like everyone's like, I love it, and it, like I love it, and everyone that works for me loves it, and and you know, I'm like, if you could just pay that invoice, <laughs> then I can pay my VAT bill. You know, like that, and and like, also, you know, that is the thing, is the money, but not that. <coughs> it, it's just other people's. Uh, Payroll systems is my challenge. It's money. There you go. Tom? Uh, the biggest challenge for me is doing all the, the non-creative stuff. Because... Yeah, I agree, it's really dry. Yeah. Often the people who are the creatives are people who don't want to do that other shit. But when you're small time and you're an independent, you've got to do it, otherwise it ain't getting done. So it's... I'll finish a magazine and I love the creative process. I love commissioning, I love writing, I love doing all of that. But then when it comes to, you know, doing admin, and distribution and all of that to, to motivate myself to do it is difficult. Well, you do a full-time job as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and that's the other thing, doing it around a full-time job because there ain't really enough money in it for me at my stage to be able to be pulling the wage out of it. So you have to go and work full-time as well. So finding the time and, and yeah, just doing that. I think uh, the thing about producing a magazine is, um, well, it's hugely um, satisfying. You know, and, um, and, and in a way, you know, the drudgery that you say, you know, the, you know, the, the setting out of magazines, you know, cycling to the post office and setting up, you know, those kind of um, distribution things. You know, in a way, that's just part of the game, you know. And, I, you know, I was at a certain point when I was doing a magazine previously where pretty much all that was sorted. You know, the, you, know you, you, you had a magazine, I had a proper distributor, you know, we, we really, there was very little that went out of the office apart from subscriptions. You know, and subscriptions were actually really important. And I think it was interesting at, at that time when, um, when the internet did kick in, 
those magazines that actually have quite a strong <laughs> subscription base, especially the smaller mags, um, they were the ones that kind of survived. Something like The Wire, for example, had a very, very strong, very devoted subscription base. And I think they were able to make that transition and when they do that kind of on, what do they call it, proper, you know, um, exact editions online, along with the magazine as well. So they, you know, so it's, but for me, actually, kind of, um, meeting, with, meeting with the people who you work with, um, working with photographers, all that is, is, is a joy, you know, I mean, working with illustrators, it's, it's yeah, that's the challenge. <laughs> well, that is a challenge. <laughs> so it's, again, it's the time that that all it takes to. to well, it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge in the sense, you know, that you know, Hannah was saying that basically, you know, whatever you whatever you do, you have your mind set on. You maybe you have a vision for a spread or an article or, you know, the way that something will come together. That the challenge is is. is Putting the chemistry together to, and making it work. And it, like, you know, like Hannah says, it doesn't always work. You know, you'll send a photographer out, maybe the guy or the woman who you, who's doing the photo shoot is not up for it. You know, it comes back. And you, you're thinking, I'm going to put that on the cover of the mag. And then you think, no, fuck it, I'm not going to put it on the cover now because there's no photo there. I once had a photographer, and he was in, like, I, you know, I've worked with big names, but we've also always, always supported new, new talent, both for photographers and writers. And I once sent this new kid out, and I was like, he's really cool, and he's going to do a great job, and I'm so happy. And he did his photo shoot, and I got a text from the girl in the band that was like, um, so his camera broke, and he just got out his phone. And I, I like texted him, and I was like, hey, how's it going? Um, Is everything okay? Because I, I heard that you've got your phone out, and that's not how we do things. So yeah, like sometimes like shit does happen, and you have to like take a sort of deep breath and work out how you're going to iron out that kink and like nobody knows apart from the four of you who've all been grinding your teeth and that's, that's what happened. And the challenge is also, it's also, I don't know, straight Australian chances, this current, uh, you know, kind of incarnation straight Australian is quite fat. So actually the challenge of the flow, of the content is, uh, that, I spend a lot of time on that. That's for me, that is one of the challenges so you feel that the magazine, it flows from, from one thing to another. And content-wise, story-wise, image-wise, um, graphic-wise, it's all, it, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges. And then, so when you, you know, when you finish it, it comes out and you think, well, that was a challenge. Has it worked? You know, yeah. Anna. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I actually, it's kind of a bit of a ditto, like I agree with everything that everyone's just said, so I don't want to bore you, so I'll try and think of something else. Um, so I'm trying to do Cool Brother full time, in fact I am doing it full time, um, but one thing I've noticed, which I probably shouldn't say, is I've just got very sort of comfortable with it, and you do find yourself sometimes with any job, and it might just be me, you do kind of start to neglect, not neglect it, but you, you kind of neglect freedom and how cool it is, you kind of forget, and it can be a bore, sometimes you don't want to start working and it's like, actually, what I'm doing is so cool, so many people would love to do this, and it's really easy to slip into the kind of like routine of it and not enjoy every single moment when I think you should be. So that is a challenge, kind of, just reminding yourself of how great it is, and it's a luxury, really. 
Thanks. Both you two have got a way of putting a positive spin on that thing. No more after at all. Uh, okay, have we got any questions from the audience? I'm Nia. Um, I'm from New York, and I started a magazine last September, um, and it's called Phase, and it's kind of like Move and a little bit of Cool Brother. Um, basically, we put in our first print zine, and I kind of had a question for you guys in terms of like funding and like stockists and stuff like that. Um, I just found it really difficult to find like a printer and to print enough copies, and we only printed about 50 copies. But because it's just self-funded, it was just like really expensive for me. So I wanted to know how do you guys go about that? Because you said that you would send like, 40 copies to like one person, and I just wanted to know like especially. For Cool Brother, and anyone can answer this question, but your um, magazine is free and things like that, so how do you afford to like do that and when it comes to printing and all that jazz? Okay, cool. So basically, how do I afford to do it? Um, it's a tricky one. I mean, we did like kind of a pilot issue, me and Emma together, and looking back, like I don't really want anyone to see it. Um, but so like this year we, we just fully went for it um, and I decided in order to make something free and in order to have advertisers invest in it I, I think anyway they probably want quite a few copies to be printed so we just decided to actually just fully go for it and print far more than we did with the pilot issue um, and I think that's kind of it. So I mean, once you do a big run, per issue is a lot cheaper, like it's actually crazy. So maybe if you want to ask the printing company's quotes for a certain amount of prints to do issues, copies, to print, um, then that might help. And then you can really look at that. And I think, yeah, the more copies you're printing, the more people will pay. But I do think starting out with getting advertisers can be a little bit tricky. It is a lot of work, just constantly emailing people. But I think once you've got an issue out, you can send that off to the advertisers. You can post it to them. Tell, email them, say, I've posted your copy. Can you take a look? Maybe you want to advertise. And that's the best way to get them interested, I think, in the long run, for me anyway. So these, hopefully that helps. These two men here are itching to print it for you at a greatly reduced price. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. Woody, you, so you've you've got brands in your magazine now, is it? I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's the question. So they're paying to be in the yeah, magazine? yeah, they are, they are. Um, I did, I gave one free four-page ad away just because uh, suddenly someone didn't want to put an ad in, so I had this space and I didn't want to leave it blank. So I just I was in contact with a clothing brand anyway because I was sampling their clothes for the style shoot that we did. Um, so, and I knew they wanted to print, they wanted to advertise in the issue after this one that was coming out. So I just said, do you want to put a free ad in? And then obviously they're all over it and then they sent me the file straight away. So that is really good if ever you have that sort of situation. Hopefully you won't have that situation, but yeah. So I'll tell you how I did it. I can only tell you how I did it, right? Um, and I'll be honest with you, because you come all the way from New York. <laughs> so the way that I did it, I did, I had investment. So if you can find somebody that believes in your idea, and you've got a really good idea, and you think this is going to sell, this is going to make a bit of money, it doesn't have to be like, this is going to make you a millionaire, but just someone who's got an interest in what you're doing, and can see a return. I had an investor who put up enough to fund the first issue. Because the first issue, you've got to pay your print costs, and you probably won't get any advertising. 
because people weren't advertising something that doesn't exist yet. Do you know what I mean? And, that, and it, to get advertising in the first couple is difficult because you haven't got a name yet, so people don't really know what they're spending their money on. If you can cover the first, if you can cover your print cost with an investment in the first one, you can sell enough to make that money back. You've then got a little bit of extra money, hopefully, to put into the next one. And then in the next one, maybe someone might want an ad because they like the first one and they'll do you a favour. And you do it at a heavily discounted rate, but it brings a little bit of money in. And then you just start slowly. In the next one, people that might have seen it think, oh, fucking hell, that's a great magazine. We've got to be in there. You start to get a few more ads in, you start to sell a few more. And it's just, for the way that I've done it is just doing it slowly, just making little bits back. And then you've, I've, I've paid that investment off now so that everything that all the profit can then go back into the next one if you want to do that or whatever but just for me as an independent just doing it very very slowly and just yeah just working it like that so have you have you got copies of your work because one of the things that you know i found was basically um if you know people if you have friends who have shops or whatever it's just like going to them and saying okay well if you give me um I'll knock you 25% off an ad if you pay me up for it. So basically, you know, if someone, you know, if an ad's 400 quid for a page, then you're going to knock them 100 pounds off. And it's quite, it's quite an incentive. And it just means also that people pay you up front, so you straight away got a portion of money towards paying your printer. So it's, you know, it's, it's worth thinking about discounts and, you know, and it, just, you know, people like, you know, like Hannah was saying, the problem is when you work with people who are like brands or bigger businesses, you're going to be chasing them for your money after. Whereas with the smaller people, if you're offering them a big discount, and then, then you know, more time, then they will kind of like pay you the money up front. And you don't have to chase them anymore. Anyway. Just a little tip as well. If you give someone, a, in your first, uh, issue, if I was paying for ads, give some away because you can then you've got it as an example to show someone. You don't have to tell them that they didn't pay for it, but then when you go for issue two, you've got an example of an ad so people can see this is what my ad is going to look like. And it could just be your mate who's got a clothing brand or whatever, you know. Okay, uh, any other questions? I know there might be a few music journalists in here, so don't boo me. Um, I work in music PR, I'm sorry. Um, and I work for uh, kind of emerging talents, and I was just wondering how much it influences you guys at all, because I only do it because I love print music magazines, so how does it influence you? What kind of ways do you get captured by that kind of thing? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Have I not replied to an email? No, you're fine. I think we did Westerman, who I work with, so you're fine, that's fine. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, just like kind of, we still work with press releases and stuff like that, but obviously it was really interesting to hear like bands that bands like, we kind of look into, you know, Glasgow or Liverpool, where the thing's happening. Um, so yeah, just like, you know, I know it can be really annoying and bothering, but I was just wondering if it plays a part, because they're all really interesting. Nice. Uh, like for me personally, I, I find, um so I don't know like how much of this you guys know or like how much you have to deal with, but like I will get 
like, hey, just wondering if you give it a spin like nine times. And it's like the second one. If I haven't replied, I'm not going to listen to it. But sometimes stuff I do listen to and I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool, but also wrong. Uh, for me, because I guess we're quite curated, I, we generally set out knowing what we want to do. But having the asset of a press release and some handy links is really helpful. Um, and like, yeah, like of course, sometimes stuff does come from PRs that are great. But PRs knowing to email me with something that I want to listen to is a million times more interesting and appealing than like, hey, I uh, hope you've had a nice day. Just wondered if you'd like to give like this chicken foot ramen band a spin. They're like uh, Caliuchus meets Kraftwerk. Like, no, thanks. I don't. But like, so yeah, yes and no. Sorry. Like, and sorry if I've not replied to anyone. It is a hundred percent true. I do not reply to emails, and I've been told by a PR that when I do reply to an email, like people, it's commented on. It, it, uh, PR, it does come in handy at times, and um, I think that what happens, certainly from my perspective, is that uh, there are certain PR firms that I kind of check, or they're checking me um, because. They've done their homework, they have an idea of maybe what's in straight now chaser. So they would, you know, hit me up with certain certain kinds of music or certain bands or whatever. And and I always take notes. It, it's it's I'll, I'll read I'll read the press statements and I'll dip in and have a listen to the music. And because you can't you can't we live in a world where there is so much that you know, you can't you can't really be on top of everything. And to a degree, you know, that's why I rely upon having a crew of people who have got different tastes in music, you know, who might come to me and say, oh, I've heard of this group or that group, and, you know, if you want to find more, check out that PR, she'll send you a copy, whatever. It, it's, you know, it, 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 it does kind of work to a degree. I mean, I'm quite specialised in, in terms of what, we're, what we cover, so I don't really do pop bands or any of that, so it, it's... it's um, but you know, I, I, I've got there's several uh, music PRs who I think are really, really on it. Yeah. I, I would love to see pop bands in straight now, chairs in there. I just think um, for myself, it would be echoing what Paul said about sort of if you've got doing your homework and knowing what publications are right for for your your artists. I think that kind of you can tell if it's just a blanket email and. 50,000 other publications have got it. And it's not that you, like, I don't feel offended, but you just don't feel like it's worth looking. Whereas if you kind of know someone, you've taken the time to go and have a cup of tea with somebody, or, like, and actually get to know them, understand what their tastes are like, then when you send me an email and I see your name on it, I'm more likely to think, oh, actually, yeah, this, this, this would be quite good. I know her, she knows what I like. So I'd say personal relationships, PR. <laughs> Brilliant. I've got loads of them. <laughs> Alright, okay. Any other questions? Tom's got wisdom that he wants to impart on the room. So any other questions? Yeah, so, uh, Reese, um, for your first issues, how did you find those stories? Because I know you've got to start somewhere, and like, some of you might have been on the scene already, like you were a DJ, for example. but. In terms of going, I want to make a magazine, now I need content. How, how, how do you do that? This is the pleasure of it. This is the joy of being an editor. 
is finding those stories. That's certainly why I do it, and I, I'd imagine it's why all of us do it, is, is that looking for stuff that no one else has seen and sharing it. And it's the same, I think, if, if you're a DJ, it's finding records that no one else has heard and thinking, fucking hell, this is great, I want everyone to hear it. And it's exactly the same buzz for me of editing a magazine, of, of finding stories that no one else has heard, looking, finding inspiration in everything, you know, spending a bit of time on Instagram, looking what people are doing, See, if you see a photographer that you like, drop them a message. You know, they, they might have a really cool story. Or um, have a look at what books are coming out. Do you know what I mean? Because that, that's another good one. Have a look at what books are coming out. Because PR is always going to want to do extracts or give you pictures. Or, and, and it's just that finding things that no one else has got. And that goes right from like doing a fanzine to editing something Hands magazine. Like that's how it works. It's you're like, oh, is that? That's interesting. Oh, oh, like, do you know? Have you heard that? Oh, wow. And it's like, it's just that thing. It's like you start thinking, and once the wheel starts turning, you and you start telling people what you're doing, and they go, oh my god, hey, have you seen that? Like Kevin Cummings is a new book out on Morrissey fans from the '80s, and you're like, I'm not really a Morrissey fan, but like, who else has got stuff? You know, it's like it just starts to spiral, and you just it starts to come at you, and then you're like, ah, I'll get away from the content. <laughs> Be curious, definitely. Be curious. Ask questions. Everyone's got a good story. It's yeah, always a story talk, and everything. Talk to people. Just being a curious person is like, do you know what I mean? If we sat down and got stories out of everybody here, we could make a magazine out of it, and it'd be wicked. Do you know what I mean? It's like, but that looking for content where other people might not see it. When I started Beat, I literally had a cup of tea with every person that I knew that was doing something. And not to be like, what are you doing? It was like, I'm gonna do this. Like, what do you think? And then, and some of them, we I've commissioned like last year, and some of them I never commissioned. And other people, it was just like, oh, they told me about something that they knew that, that they thought was interesting, and that was it, really. Well, I think the thing is that also about content is that um, you know in relation to the internet, I think one of the one of the decisions that I took with this incarnation, straight no chaser, is to actually print longer articles. I mean, we used, we used to print quite long articles anyway, but in, even now we print articles that are much longer. You know, they might have like four, five, six, eight pages sometimes, you know what I mean? And it's one of those things where obviously if you're doing that, then you need the visual content to be able to back up the story that you're printing. But I think also, I think we live, we, you know, we live in, in times where we're bombarded by information. And I think that one of the things for me, I'm a fairly political person, and, and I think that the content of, of what's in the magazine should be really reflecting uh, the discussions and debates that are going on on the ground. And so from that point of view, you kind of need, you kind of need space to be able to, to let people kind of tell their stories or, or to you know, go that bit deeper and find out you know, where people come from, what, what are their attitudes, what, what is, what is it that shapes the music that they're making? And I think, you know, from my point of view also is um, uh, we have a byline for the magazine which is Ancient to Future. And I think that one of the things is, is um, we tend to see, you know, kind of mag magazines as being kind of um, related pretty much to youth culture. And for me, even though there's a very strong youth dimension to what we do, it's really, really crucial that we link it to the past. So that you know, we go back into the past, and we you know we join the dots between what is it that's created the culture that we live in right now. 
And there's a lot of political lessons that you can learn as well from that, the experiences of previous generations. And those stories are really definitely worth telling. All right, I think we've got time for one more question before we finish up. Over here. <laughs> All the hands go up when I say one last question. <coughs> How do you manage paying your contributors or alternatively not paying them? Particularly when, when you start out, you know, that must be tough. I've bought a lot of people drinks. <laughs> no. Um, we've, I've always paid writers uh, because I was one and I know that like you kind of get the short shrift fiscally out of writing for magazines. I mean, I was one, I still am one. Um, and photographers, you know, can command 75,000 pounds a day. Um, that's David Sims, not people that we shoot, not new talent that we shoot with. Um, but now we just budget in, I have a contributor's budget and I like break it down like any other place. And I like to think that we're fair with what we pay people. Um, and like, if I can't, if there's no budget, then like, I will do that interview myself, or make somebody else that doesn't ask for money do. <laughs> and some people don't, because they're like, yeah, cool. I've always wanted to interview Genesis Peorage, and I'm like, so maybe not that. Yeah, it's hard. It is hard. Making a magazine is really hard, and anyone that does it should be, like, you should guys should all be commended. And if you want to do it, like, yes, do it, but like, don't expect pots of money. I think there was a portion of time when um, we, we didn't really pay the contributors. There were certain people who got paid who kind of held, held it all together. And then we took on a lot of uh, young writers who basically had come out of college or had just come off the street. I don't think I've ever turned anybody away from if they've come to me and asked if they could do something. I've never really turned anybody away. And, um, and I've said to them, you know, at a certain point in time, we we're you know we're not we're not the enemy. We you know we don't make that kind of money. Um, but straight now chaser is a good springboard for you to you know to form your book to go to those magazines that do potentially pay. Um, when I, when I started this incarnation of the magazine, I took a decision that I would pay people, and I probably pay them around what said quietus would pay their contributors, um, and that's. Roughly, what the best decision I made, because right now it seems to me that nobody's getting fucking paid. Really, it's, it's, it's a shocking scenario. And so that, that was rather than you just going with the flow and saying, "Oh, nobody's getting paid. That's fine." You you wanted to kick against that and make yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, obviously, Cool Brother only started this year. Um, I don't have much money. So due to that, similar to Hannah, I guess, like I do probably about 95% of the content. And then occasionally I'll have friends that will write for me as well if they ask to. Um, they know that I'm not in the position to pay them. So I mean, it's their choice and I really hate that, but I'm, I, like I say, I can't afford to pay it myself anyway. With the photographers, um, I do pay them. And then with other contributors, like we, have submissions, so we allow people to just submit their work, which is usually pre-existing work anyway, um, and they choose to submit and they'll send it to a particular email address, we have four submissions, um, and that's illustrations and photography. And then for them, I think they submit their work as kind of like, so they can show other people that they've had their work in a zine, and also because it's a zine, not a magazine, I don't think really people necessarily expect it, I don't know, it's, it's not the same, it's a bit of your work to 
someone else. Yeah. I started at the beginning just um, just boxing clever. People who have written something that's been cut from another magazine or doing most of it myself. Um, having a small editorial budget but just being quite careful with how you give it up but also the main thing is just to be honest with people to say look I'm doing this by myself I haven't got a lot of money I can't pay you what I know your, your full rate is but if you want to do something then you know I can offer you this or I can offer you something or whatever whether that's a cup of tea or 50% of the whatever if you're just honest with people people can understand what you're trying to do I think a lot of the time Myself, as a, speaking as a writer, separate from this, I'll always be willing to do things for things that I believe in, whether for money or not. Um, but then as you, you know, as you become more successful, hopefully you've got a bit more money, and then you can start paying people like properly. But until you get to that point, you've just got to be honest with people. Okay, alright, so um, I know we have other questions waiting, but um, people want to get to the bar, people probably want to get to the toilets. So, um, Thank you very much for coming. Thanks very much to our speakers and for talking tonight. As I say, we do have copies on sale uh, of Move uh, and Strength or Chaser, but not very many. So if you want those, come and grab them, um, and we'll see you at the next Stack event. Cheers. Okay, that's all for this week. That was actually the last Stack Live event that we're going to be holding this year. We have our Stack Awards ceremony on Monday the 19th of November and we'll release the audio from that as a podcast. But aside from that, the rest of our episodes this year will be back to our regular format of me speaking with a magazine maker about the stuff that they do. Speaking of awards, we're entering our crazy period of the year now. The Stack Awards close for entries today, that's Friday the 28th of September, and next week we'll be diving into the mammoth task of shortlisting the hundreds of magazines that we've received. It is a brilliantly exciting time, but it's also a huge amount of work, so I'm going to try to keep on putting out a new episode of this podcast each week, but if we do go missing one Friday, you can assume it's because we're buried under a pile of magazines or lost in the depths of judging. If that happens, you'll still be able to find loads of episodes in our archive. Just search for Stack Magazines on SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts and you should find plenty to keep you going. And of course, make sure you follow us while you're there because then we'll be able to deliver all of our new episodes straight to you as soon as they're ready. Thanks very much for listening to this one and we'll be back with another episode next week, I hope.